Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. What book of the Bible are we in? Acts. Acts. Boy, that is good. Who has their Bible with them? Whoa, we're just like one of those old-time churches doing this, but that's pretty neat. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, now we're about to open this wonderful book. You preserve things for us that could have easily been lost. The stories, the accounts, the actual happenings. And Father, we praise you for that and thank you for that and help you help pray that now you would help us just open our minds and our hearts to apply things that happened long ago but things that the Almighty God, Eternal God, are still doing right now. Teach us, bless us, encourage us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're in Acts chapter 9. We've been there for a little while. And we're going to look at a verse that we read last week, but we didn't comment on. But before we get there, let me just ask this question. Would you agree that life is a battle? Has anybody here had any skirmishes this week? Skirmishes of one sort or another with just getting through the day triumphantly and knowing that God just helped you do that. You see, the Christian life itself can be one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest battle of all. A believer, a Christian, battles against the flesh, battles against the world and its values, battles against the devil himself. And sad to say, sad to say, don't you say it, so I'll say it. Don't want to make you sad. But sad to say, sometimes we do battle with other believers with whom we disagree or of whom we are a bit leery, around whom we walk cautiously. It can be exhausting just being a Christian and sometimes being around others who are Christians. We're going to see it pretty consistently, this kind of potential struggle between believers as we continue through the book of Acts. These are real people having real problems, beset by the real world that they live in. And, and Luke records things that as we honestly look at them, we're going to say, those folks kind of got at odds with each other. What can we learn from that? However, today's key scripture, as I said, one we read last week but did not comment on, highlights for us a wondrous possibility. A possibility that presented itself to the church in Jerusalem 
a possibility that occasionally presents itself to us in our lives. You see, sometimes between skirmishes in our battle with all of the above-mentioned realities, the, the world, the flesh, the devil, sometimes there comes what we could call a lull. L-U-L-L, a lull, a respite, a period of peace, and maybe even prosperity. Such a time is to be cherished, even though it might be brief. Today's key text identifies just such a time in the Jerusalem church. This time, this lull, this time of peace came immediately after some of the believers had literally shipped Saul out of town. We read last week. Some of the Jews in Jerusalem, after Saul made his way down there and started to preach powerfully regarding Christ and probably regarding a little bit of what later on the Apostle Paul would call my gospel these truths, these doctrines that Jesus himself had taught him, as Paul was, or Saul was there beginning this kind of ministry, there were Jews who were trying to kill him. And so the believers, it says, the believers in Jerusalem hurried Saul out of town took him up the coast to where there's a wonderful port city, Caesarea, put him on a ship and sent him 400 miles away, back to his hometown, Tarsus, which wasn't even in the Holy Land. It was off on the edge of the Mediterranean north and a little bit west. 400 miles. And now, Luke tells us, with Saul gone, many people breathed a sigh of relief. Because everywhere Saul went, he brought conflict and sometimes confusion. His new doctrine was powerful. However, his history was problematic. There were those, you see, who would never see Saul as anything but the man who had viciously persecuted their brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of those believers in Jerusalem, no doubt, were relatives of Stephen, the man that had been stoned to death because of his faith in Christ. And when he was stoned to death, this man Saul was standing right there approving it, as though he were throwing the stones himself. If you were Stephen's relative, and after a little while, this Saul man came back into your town. Would you ever embrace him as a brother in Christ? Would you ever see him as, as someone that uh, Jesus has changed? Or would you forever see him as that murderer, that vicious man that even we at times in the past had run from and hidden ourselves away because of? I'm sure that most of the believers in Jerusalem and of the whole surrounding area, were delighted to hear that Saul had been sent away, far away. And so then Luke gives us today's key text. And here it goes. Today's key text, Acts chapter 9, just verse 31, where Luke gives us this, this kind of synopsis. But the first word 
the verse starts with is the word then. Well, I've just told you what the time period. Saul had just been sent away, moved away, gotten out of the church. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, I put there as true worshipers, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it, the church, increased in numbers. What a marvelous statement. What a time it was. What an awesome experience Luke is describing. And let me tell you, I can relate to that. I can relate to that personally. I have experienced something like that all 29 years that make up the story of Sun Life Community Church. Sun Life Community Church has provided my personal respite from the things that bring trouble to so many American churches. My rescue from a struggle, from a structure that burns so many pastors out in midlife. It's amazing how many pastors quit in their 40s. Maybe make it to 50. And then they quit. They go into some other line of work. And people say, well, they just got burned out. Got burned down. It happens to hundreds and thousands. It could have happened to me. But 29 years ago, after spending 22 years in what I would call the institutionalized American church ministry, I was knocked to the ground just about as dramatically as Saul was on the Damascus Road. There came a day. There came a day in the midst of that church ministry that I was content with. It was all that I had known, serving in a church like I had served for the previous 21 years. And there we were. I'd gone to seminary to learn how to function in, in exactly that American church structure. And there came a day that, as far as I was concerned, was just like any other day. But on that day... On that day, the Lord Jesus spoke to me as clearly as he did to another blinded soul. And he said, speaking of the ministry in which I was currently engaged, he said, Mark, I am releasing you from this responsibility. I had never prayed a prayer saying, Lord, would you get me out of here? I'd never sent my resume to all kinds of bigger and better churches. Not at all. I was there. I'd been there for 16 years. I was content there, really, just doing what we do in churches like that. Sometimes working 70, 75 hours a week. I, I kept track at times for the deacons of the church, reporting just how I spent my time, and sometimes they totaled up. To 75 hours a week and I thought oh Mark you're doing good you're doing good it was a responsibility and the Lord says Mark I am releasing you from this responsibility you know what he didn't say he didn't say Mark and I'm depositing five million dollars in your bank account you'll never have to worry again no, we're just releasing you from this one. This responsibility happens to pay you, but I'm releasing you from that. 
But it was clear as a bell. Now, the Lord did not send me any Ananias. But I did clearly understand that he would be showing me what he had in store. And four months later, the first service of Sun Life Community Church was conducted. I said that day, and I certainly said many times in the weeks to follow, and I still say it today, I felt like I had died and gone to heaven. Absolutely. Felt like I had died and gone to heaven. So you see, today's key text that we just read is not only a first century observation, it is for me a 21st century one. So let me read it again. Then. And for me, that then could be after uh, I was released, as it were. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord as true worshipers and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I find in that single verse six key words. Not that they're big doctrinal words, they're just six words that tell the story, but I want to relate to each one of them just a little bit, and I was amazed, actually, to discover near the end of the week how these six words applied to my life and not just to Saul's and the churches in Jerusalem. So here's the first word, church. Church means the entire body of believers throughout the region. The church, one giant fellowship made up of every single born-again believer on earth. There's only one church in heaven. There will be but one church. Singular. And here, Luke uses the singular. Sometimes in the Apostle Paul's letters, he talks about the churches, or the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus. But here, then the church. One time Jesus just referred to it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, and I will build my church. Singular. One organization under his authority, with him as head and savior. One church. But then I want you to notice, just for the fun of noticing something, it says here in in that verse, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Three regions. I just want to let you know that Luke took them out of order. It's like he didn't look at a geography book or something, didn't look at a Bible atlas. Or was there a point here? Because you see, if we put it on a map, Judea is a province in the south. That's where Bethlehem, that's where Jerusalem is. That's in the south. The next one right north is the region called Samaria. That's the region that no good Jew would even enter into because they believed the the Samaritans to be just unfaithful, half-breeds, kind of claimed Abraham, but didn't really follow him. They had their own temple. They had their own practices. They didn't go down to Jerusalem. So the Samaritans, Jews had nothing to do with them, but their province was right north of Judea. And then north of them is Galilee. 
Nazareth and the place, the Sea of Galilee. So it should be, if you're going from Jerusalem, you would say, and, and the church grew in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. But Luke says it, probably the way the people of the day said it, the Jews, they said, well, Judea, and then Galilee, the true Jewish places, and then also Samaria. So it's almost like it was a matter of importance rather than geographic accuracy. But it made it into the Bible there. Now, from the southern border to the northern border, that would cover about 120 miles. The church, one church, scattered through all that area. A lot of those folks were the ones who were scattered when Saul began the persecution following the stoning of Stephen, and they just fled. But they mostly stayed in their general region there, but covered 120-some miles, the territory. And Luke is saying the church in these regions had peace, was strengthened, and it increased in numbers. So it really was a multi-ethnic church. It was a multicultural church. It had Jews, it had Greeks, it had Samaritans that normally were not even considered people. It was multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-religious background because the Samaritans had their own twisted form of religion. So as they came into it, they hadn't gone to the same Sunday school classes all the Jewish children went to. Now, you know, they didn't have Sunday school classes, but they were taught a different kind of history. And they were taught to worship in a different kind of way. They really had a different religious background, but now they're all part of this church of Jesus Christ. And they were living in peace. Imagine that. What a marvelous body they were at the time. Now, the tension... The tension that Saul generated, the tension he had introduced into the fellowship, would return in the years to come. There would be things to disagree about, a lot of things, important things. There would be things that would need to be ironed out and clarified regarding Christian doctrine. But for this period of time, none of those things came to the fore. It wasn't time yet to resolve those things. And so they could simply focus upon the life and ministry of, the death and resurrection of, the forgiveness of sins provided by Jesus, their Savior. They could all agree on all of that and just love him and embrace one another as they did so. And so... We've sought to do that very same thing here at Sun Life Community Church. See, printed on the bulletin, handed out that very first Sunday service, September 18, 1994, and printed on every single bulletin we have printed since that day. It's right inside at the bottom of the worship order there. It says this, a simple definitive statement, Sun Life. What is it? Sun life. It means experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. That's what we're about. 
We're not about a whole lot of denominational identities. We're not about historical uh, significance. We're about Jesus Christ experiencing together and sharing with others the very life that Jesus himself lived. The life that his spirit is seeking to recreate in us. And so that's how it was in the first century world. And because there were no major distractions or threats at that time, the wonders of this second key word could be experienced. And here it is, peace. Peace is the absence of conflict and hostility. Isn't it marvelous, mothers, fathers, when your children live at peace? Have any of you ever experienced that? Maybe if you're threatening them. Maybe if you have them blindfolded and gagged. But peace. No hostility, no conflict. Now see, for the church in Jerusalem, the time of persecution was over. They weren't running for their life anymore. The Christians through the rest of those regions, they weren't hiding out in fear anymore. Because you see, the main leader of the persecution, who was Saul, had been converted. He'd become a believer. The time of debate, the time of dispute over various points of doctrine maybe, had ended when Saul was shipped back to his hometown of Tarsus. And so for that little bit of time, however long it was, peace prevailed. And that's a, that's a marvelous thing. You know, peaceful is a wonderful characteristic of a body of believers. To come into a group of Christians and say, boy, I tell you, they, they're just so peaceful. It's not generally been the case. The very nature of the Christian faith can lead to conflicts and various kinds. I grew up in a day when the most dedicated of believers in our country were known as fundamentalists. They held firmly to the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. My mom and dad would proudly identify themselves as one and two of them. They were fundamentalists. They believed in the fundamentals of the faith. They believed in creation, no matter what the schools were beginning to teach. They believed the Bible was the inspired word of God, no matter what the liberal theologians were starting to say. They believed that marriage was a lifelong commitment and that it was a commitment made between a man and a woman, no matter what society was starting to embrace. They believed that apart from a born-again experience provided by the Spirit of God, no one could be saved, no matter what more enlightened churches were teaching. They believed that many of the practices and the interests of the world around them were to be absolutely avoided by all born-again believers, no matter how attractively those practices and interests might be advertised. Unfortunately, by the time Linda and I were heading off to Wheaton College, such people 
like my mom and dad and Linda's mom and dad and she and her siblings and me and mine, the time had come when such people raised in such environments had had the term fighting fundy hung around their necks. Oh, you're one of those fighting fundies. And the truth was, some of them were pretty testy. Today, those who hold to such biblical views are called haters by many and seen as being harmful to the larger society. Now, we here at Sun Life, we here at Sun Life have not jumped onto any of the current cultural battlegrounds. We teach biblical truth and standards. We do not believe that God has called us to change the thinking of the fallen world around us or to defeat evil at the ballot box. And as a result, over all these years, we do not conduct ourselves in such a way that political agendas can divide our congregation into warring factions. This past week, one of our newest attenders said to me, I find this church to be a kind and safe place. I like that. The, Jeris the Jerusalem church became that for a time. Luke says, it enjoyed a time of peace. And out of that peaceful atmosphere, perhaps even because of it, Luke could report that the church in the entire country was strengthened. That is, gaining stability and awareness. Hebrews and Hellenists and Samaritans all accepting one another in Jesus. Saul's aggressiveness was removed from the picture. The Helen, Helen, Hellenistic Jews had lost their target, which was Saul. And so they had, they had no one to jump on or to come after. Developing oneness takes time. It also takes trust. It takes understanding. It takes all the fruit of the Spirit. It takes squelching the flesh again and again. I wrote a document when we first started Sun Life that I titled... Flesh proofing the church. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do? Wouldn't you like to be able to flesh proof your life? Flesh proof your marriage? Flesh proof your family? Well, I wrote the document, titled it Flesh Proofing the Church, and it detailed in it some steps that we could take as a church to allow as little opportunity as possible for our fallen human flesh to determine or even dominate this fledgling fellowship. We have followed those directives all these years. Maybe next year on our 30th anniversary, I'll go through it line by line. Our overseers, of course, are most familiar with the concepts. To live in such a way that you've eliminated from your life, in this case from a church life, many of the things that cause other churches to just turn on each other. How could we just get rid of as much of that as possible? 
Well, we made it a goal. And the things that we follow in this church try very much to keep human flesh out of it. That's why we don't have business meetings. How many of you have ever gone to a business meeting where you have 10 people there and you got 25 opinions? <laughs> and then you're going to vote. And you're going to have winners and losers. And the losers will feel like, boy, next time around, we're going to get more people to come out and vote. It becomes a political thing. We don't have congregational meetings to decide the will of God. We have leaders in our church who prayerfully together, who are linked heart to heart in the very things we believe that come out of the scripture, who will prayerfully seek whatever it is that we need to decide about. But we have made this structure so small, there's not much to decide about. And we're not changing things every six months. Seeking to keep the flesh at bay. It will always be trouble enough within us. Well, let's hurry on. Our fourth key word this morning in today's incredible message is fear. Fear. Submission to and reverence for their awesome God. Luke says they were living in the fear of God. Not scared stiff, but just absolutely overwhelmed by his greatness and goodness, the awesomeness of God. They were living with that as a reality, the central reality in their church life. Luke says that's what they were doing and that's what we should be doing, recognizing that every detail of our lives is in his hand. You know, God is still the creator. He's still creating things out of us and for us and things he wants us to be involved in. His, his mercies, his goodness, new every single day. Paul says later on, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said that we should take every unworthy thought captive and bring it to Christ. You see, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the one who tells us what we should think and how we should think and when a particular thought is ungodly or not. And so we, we recognize living in the fear, the awesomeness of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and letting them call the shots. And us just live comfortably under their wisdom. You see, a key underlying reality here when we talk about living in the fear of God is worship. I mean, mention of, of our worship just a while ago. At the very heart of the Church of Jesus Christ is the understanding that we are a group of born-again believers who by the grace and companionship of the Holy Spirit have been restored to the submissive, surrendered relationship with the Creator that was anticipated in the Garden of Eden itself. We are worshipers of God. It says right on the front of our bulletin, we list every single week the six things that characterize us as a church, and one of them is we are worship-centered. And as a result, we're being continually encouraged Luke says they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. To be encouraged really means to have somebody putting courage into you. The little word en is the Greek word in, and then courage is the second part of it, encourage. It means to have some courage put into you. And when you find someone who can do that, you value that person. 
And Luke says that's what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was encouraging them, putting encouraging them into them continually so they might live for Christ. He's the one who is God with us. He walks us into and through every circumstance that comes our way. And in these circumstances, the Holy Spirit is forever saying, you can get through this. Let me walk you through this. I've walked you to it, and I will walk you through it. Trust me. Be encouraged, not fearful. Here's the final word, the sixth one. Numbers. Just means physical evidence. Measurable progress. Spiritual growth always has a physical component. There's always something to see. When people are growing spiritual, they're, spiritually, there's always something to see, to notice, to be aware of. The Bible is full of numbers. Those numbers say, see what God has done. See what God has done. Now, we here at Sun Life Community Church have our own set of numbers that we pay attention to. Wouldn't you say that you yourself are a pretty important number? Go ahead, feel like it. Right now, right now. Suppose you were number 13, you're number 17 on our list that, that we publish, you know, alphabetically. Every year we make a new list, right? One year membership. Just imagine you're number 27. And think to yourself, I'll bet when Pastor Mark thinks about 27, he just brightens up. <laughs> ah, yeah, 27. That's a good number. One of our best. The Lord thinks of 23, 26, 10, 9. See, every one of you is a, a pretty important number within the larger number that make us up as a congregation. You are important to God. You're important to me, for sure, and you are important to everyone around you. Once you become part of this group, how many of you have your own seat? Come on. Come on. How many of you have your own seat? Is that not impressive? If somebody else gets here before you that is a regular, they say, oh, I can't say that. That's so-and-so's seat. Isn't that impressive? It's like you're important. Got your own spot. Now, we have been from day one from the very first time we ever had a membership sign-up, which was our charter membership sign-up way back in, uh, in the spring of 1995, we have been approximately a 150-person congregation for all 29 years. Sometimes a little bit above, occasionally a little bit below, but almost right within that target, 150 year after year after year. Now, I've come to the conclusion, I don't know if this is embarrassing to admit my limitations, but I've come to the conclusion that 150 people is about all I can keep track of. <laughs> They're all I can shepherd. And golly, I have trouble at that. So if I ever say, hey man, how you doing? They'll say, I don't think he even knows my name. Names come, names go, but, you know, 150 is about the limit for me. I'm convinced of that. And it's a perfect size. I think lots of times it's a limit for all of you, too. To say, do I know the folks here? 
Do I see the same faces? Do I kind of know whose seat that is so I don't, you know, mess it up? 150 all these years. But however, that 150 is anything but a stagnant number. There are only 10 people, well, there's less than 10 people here today who attended that very first service. Perhaps next year, on our 30th anniversary, we'll give each one of them a medal. <laughs> so hang in there. Hang in there. We've got a year to go. I'll want one myself. <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is, though, that living in our kind of American mobile society, the statistics are that 20% of Americans move every year. About 20%. So on any average anything, about 20% of the group that's here today will not be here a year from now. Now, there can be a lot of reasons for that. Some folks retire and want to get out of California. Some people just want to get out of the desert. They move. They get new jobs. They move on to glory. So for us, that's about 30 people. Every single year for 29 years, we have had to have, the Lord has to send 30 new people come through our doors so that we just stay the same size that we are. And that happens again and again and again. So every year, the first Sunday in February, when we have our annual membership commitment Sunday, we look around and we can say, look what God has done. There, there's a new one, there's a new one, and there's somebody returning, and I've done this a number of years, and I hope to do it a few more, but we look at those numbers, and we say, look at what God has done. Spiritual things take physical form, and physical forms can be counted and noted, and so James, or uh, um, Luke tells us here, and the church increased in numbers because real people are being affected by the truth of God and so we we rejoice in that now we come to our final thought this morning and here's what it says lulls see the Jerusalem church was going through a lull the warfare was ended the stress was was reduced when Saul got sent away and they could just focus on the real thing the thing that they all agreed on the marvelous life, death, resurrection, ministry of Jesus Christ. The fact that he died for their sins. They know that the Father had forgiven them. They were now brothers and sisters together in this new thing called the church. They were still waiting to see how it was going to turn out, its, its structure. And, but they, they were all in it. And for this moment, they were at peace. They felt strengthened in every way possible. Uh, and they, they could just relax and feel safe and feel the kindness and the love of the people around them, even though they were living in a hostile Roman Empire world. And so when those lulls come, it says lulls in the battle are godsend, are a godsend. Take advantage every time one comes. 
I would like to believe that every Sunday morning is a bit of a lull for every one of us. We kind of step out of what might be the the hastiness and the struggle and the whatever of the week. And we come into this place where we can't even look out the window and remind ourselves of what's going on out there. And we're here. Among kind, safe, friendly, caring people. And we go home and we say, even if that was just for an hour and a half, (laughs) I feel more ready for Monday than I did. Some people over the years find Sun Life Community Church itself to be in the lull, just provide a lull, a resting place. Maybe they've been really eaten up in some other church. Maybe it's even a pastor who's been burned out and God still has something for him to do. But for a little period, he's right here and he can just relax. And this becomes a place to just renew and refresh. Some people might be here the rest of their lives. Others are here for six months, for a year. And then they're ready to get back to whatever it was that God had them doing before. And so we can provide that kind of experience for some people. And then for other people, Sun Life is just their church forever. Their church forever is for me. I'd be here even if I wasn't the pastor. God provides places for us to renew, for us to be refreshed, for us to get ready for for what's going on there out in the world where we need to stand firm for Christ. And it's great to be sitting with other people who are getting refreshed in the same way and are recognizing that they have a calling to live a godly life in the midst of a world that is anything but godly. And so my job, my calling is to help you be refreshed to encourage you to keep right on standing for Jesus, not in a hostile way. Don't be a fighting fundy. Just be a soft teddy bear for Jesus. <laughs> that somebody can say, when I really feel bad, I'd like to talk to you. Be that. Be that. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a marvelous thing what Jesus has designed. He said, I will build my church. And at that time, nobody had any idea what he was even talking about. What would a church be? What would a church look like? What is an ecclesia, a group of people called together out of the world? And then little by little, we find out. Father, I thank you. We're 2,000 years along in the process. I thank you that you brought this particular fellowship into being. I'm thankful that you, you shared with us some notions about how we can be, to use the term of the day, a kind and safe place for your own people where they can be renewed and refreshed and encouraged and taught and share their lives with others. Father, we pray now on this Sunday, just like any Sunday, that when we leave this place, we we leave as people that are unlike anyone else in the world. And some of those other people in the world are troubled and distressed and are broken and are are really messed up in a lot of different ways. And Father, we need to be some that, that when they encounter us, they begin to think there could be hope. There could be a change that could happen in their life. 
that they could be more like this kind and safe person who has just made themselves available to them. Father, may this church as a whole have a yet another year and many years ahead to just continue to be what you've called us to be. And we'll thank you for it and trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.